Welcome back to the Popular Information Brokers, ladies and gentlemen. This is Daryl Z. Fulton with Professor Craig Hawkins, PCH, and Brian Allen in studio. Keep Brother Eric in your prayers, please, as he travels. Ladies and gentlemen, again, we were having some great questions coming from you. We desire and ask you to continue participating in the broadcast. You're the teammate to make this whole broadcast go at 888-995-5552, 888-995-5552. And those are the, uh, sending us questions by way of Facebook. We want to make sure that we get those questions in there. And so I'm, I'm going to ask that Timothy. I think Timothy tried to do a question. We're trying to find it. Timothy, rewrite your question if it was Facebook or Messenger and resend it to us. We really appreciate that. We have some technology. I see your name up there, but I just don't see the question. So when we deal with these things, you know, we're, we're country enough, at least I'm country enough, to ask people what I want. The Mama Grace told me to do that, Brian. So please take an opportunity if you see your question on Facebook or if it didn't get on there, resend it, and we'll make sure that we get those questions asked and answered. And David, I'm going to get to your question in regards to uh, postmodernism. I think it is uh, after we take care of some very important business. That business is kind of a good segue from what we were dealing with with the Greek Orthodox and talking with Joy, our good friend Joy, that Craig, we want to talk about, the, uh, especially on Father's Day, man, sincerely important on Father's Day. Like I said in the opening prayer that God is our creator, and he, and, we, and he doesn't have all of us that is his creation as human beings, as his children. And I want to get that clear with the listening audience mind because I've heard too many times where people talk about we're all God's children. And when I came to Christianity, I immediately knew uh, the distinction before I even came uh, to Christ about the distinction that we are not all God's children from the various religions I, I belonged to before I came to um, the Christianity. So PCH, when I say religion, just as a, a form of reference, PCH, we got to make clear this distinction about God the Father and God the Creator and what he did about having us to have a right relationship with him. So segueing from the Greek Orthodox uh, uh, talk we just had with Joy, let's get this understanding clear, especially on Daddy's Day. So who is our spiritual daddy, and how do we have one? Appreciate you there with me. Appreciate it. Good day, y'all. You broke it up a little bit. Uh, uh, Breaking up. So we're back. <laughs> you're not sure what's going on there, but at any rate, the beauty is God doesn't just forgive us, those who trust in Christ as their Savior, but He adopts us into His family. We, we become His children. Paul talks about this in the book, little book we, uh, called Epistle Letter of Titus, Titus chapter um, chapter two uh, about verses. Uh, actually, excuse me, chapter three about verses. Uh, 5, 6, and 7, it talks about this. He really can start about verse 4, Titus 3, 4 through 7, and about being adopted. And indeed, people say, well, we're all God's children. Well, as you said, that that's not really true. John talks about this in John chapter 8 of his gospel, and the epistle of 1 John chapter 5, he also deals with this again. So it's that's not the case. Here's what is the case, is that we're all alienated, we're all excluded, we're all separated from God because of our sins, because of our imperfections, because of our, our selfishness, our narcissism. And you have to be a serial killer or a mass murderer, um, but we've murdered God in our heart, we've murdered others by gossip, we murder their reputations, sins of gluttony. I mean, you go on down the list of 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 being uh, drunk, drunkenness, of sexual immorality. This is rampant. People say, "What do you mean sins? That's just normal American society and life, eh?" 
But you know the sins I'm talking about. We all have ours. And it doesn't matter if you're from the upper echelon or lower, what you've done, even if you're a murderer. Not that it's okay, but but the Apostle Paul was saved. He was a murderer. King David murdered. And they're all sins, of course. I'm not justifying it, as did Moses. But yet they're they're still men of God in spite of that, and God still worked redemptively in their lives. So what I want to say is, look, some of you... I uh, had a really good father. Some of you had, your father wasn't even around. You didn't even know who your father is. And some of you say, oh, no, I know who he is, and he's a scoundrel. I mean, you can't stand your earthly father, and I'm sorry for that. But uh, we're talking about the Heavenly Father, who is indeed just that, literally, God the Father, and having a relationship with him and being reconciled to God. And this isn't like, oh, I need to be comfort because I didn't have a dad figure in my life when I was younger. I'm going way beyond that. I'm going to talk about that, but more than that, about having a personal relationship with God. And that's why Father's Day to me is, while it is probably the token holiday, I think it might be the holiday because of God the Father. I would say, excuse me, in our culture, in Western culture, there is a war on, on the Father and, and fatherhood. Often fathers and men are made of nincompoops and the, the doofuses of programs and, and what have you, on and on the thing goes, or so-called toxic masculinity, and certainly there are some things that are wrong. But the whole idea of manhood and the fatherhood has been totally maligned in our culture. I think there's an all-out war on that. But there is, let me just set the record straight, there is God the Father, and that's what he is. He's our Father, and he's loving and gracious and kind, but he's also holy and righteous and just. And if you don't confess your sins, if you don't repent of them, he will judge you, and for all of eternity you will be separated from God. Let's, let's make this perfectly clear. It's like you come to your doctor, he says, yeah, you've got this arrhythmia, this is going to cost you your life if you don't get it taken care of. Let's not mince words here. There is a procedure to help you. In this case, it is trusting in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if I could call it a procedure. But if you don't, you will die physically, and you will die, you are dead spiritually, and you will experience a second death, which is eternal separation from God. So no mincing words, that's what this is about. That's the bad news. The good news is if you trust in Christ, you have eternal life, quality of life, here and now, and the deed for all of eternity looking for meaning, for purpose, for significance, for identity. Look, some of us are more social people than others. Some are more gregarious than others. But all of us have some social needs. And whether you think you do or not, here's the point. You need fellowship with God. He doesn't need us. We need Him. But you're looking for meaning. You're looking for purpose. You're looking for identity, and you don't find that joining some club or country club or otherwise or biker gang or, I mean, fill in the blanks from, from gangs to, 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 you know, some country club. None of that's going to fulfill you. None of that's going to bring you true life, life in that more abundantly. It is only, one last time, found in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and only through Jesus Christ, as we're told in First John chapters 2 and 3, only through Jesus can you have God as your Father and know Him, rather be known by Him and accepted by Him and adopted by Him into His family, meaning, purpose, significance, identity, excuse me, <coughs> Excuse me, sorry, mm -hmm. I almost choked there. That'd be all right. And identity and purpose in life are only found in Jesus Christ. Indeed, indeed. Peace says we really appreciate that. Ladies and gentlemen, again, um, make a decision because any indecision is a decision. No decision 
is a decision, as we talked about before uh, earlier. You listen to Living by the Word Ministries presentation of Bible Information Brokers. 888-995-5552 is the number to call. 888-995-5552 is the number to call uh, for your open honest question. Email, tweet, Facebook. Our messenger is Bible Info Brokers, the format. Bible Info Brokers. So, Brian, let's go back. I think you said you found the uh, the question for Timothy, and I'm also going to get to um, David's question in regards to um, postmodernism. He says, what's up, agent? Um, what's a woman? How about what is a father in our post-Christian civilization? It's kind of interesting. Mm. Yeah, the, I, I just sorry about choked on the peanut earlier. I had and stuff caught in my throat. But mm-hmm. uh, at any rate, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I just—it's pretty sad. Their latest court justice, I believe, it was politically motivated. I mean, come on, uh, how could you judge on the nation's highest court and deal with things like Title Seven and Title Nine, which is about sexual discrimination, if you can't even define what a woman is? I mean, it's really, it's it's that sad. We are so messed up in this culture that now we don't think we can even define a, a woman. And now they want to use phrases like uh, a child-bearing person. Uh, you know what? This is not rocket science. It's not that difficult. It's And, <laughs> and I would argue by... Oh, we just got something happened there? What did I just do there? You took off all of our callers? No, no, no they're there. Okay. Oh, not on my screen. Okay. okay. Are we still there? Okay, see if we can bring them back there. I, I, I hope that we're still live there. Uh, now my my screen is frozen. Okay, very good. Again, um, you listen to Living by the Word Ministries presentation of the Bible Information Brokers. We have just a technical difficulty, and these things happen. And I think my, my computer is frozen here, Brian, for some reason. Uh, let's see if we can get that back up because my screen is here, but it's frozen. But anyway, uh, give us a call. We're going to get these numbers and everything uh, back can up. Can you see if, if they're still on the line? Yeah. Do we have all the colors on, uh, Jared? Okay, so I think there's some. Uh, mine's, okay, mine is frozen as well over here. So let's. Let's just say this one of those momentary things. Remember that little thing I showed you where it showed that the runtime or something? Uh, let's see. What do we have going here? Because it sounds like it's just off the air. It's almost like the callers got dropped. Let's see. Are they back on there yet? No. Because they're still... Okay, the phone's working, but see, my, my screen is frozen. They had some kind of runtime on there, and we need to bring that back up and clear it. Okay, very good. Let him fix that. Ladies and gentlemen, if you can hear me, um, this is Daryl E.Z.D. Fulton with the Bible Information Brokers. We have some technical difficulties, and um, the difficulties are going to be corrected by our fine engineer as he's coming in here to take, take charge, Jay. <laughs> Daryl, stop clicking that mouse. No, what, what happened? I know what happened. I'll tell you about it. Because that little thing right down there, I, I moved it down. This thing that says one time, when I press that button, it clears everything off. Live radio. Say so, Brian. Sing no, I'm just saying. So. If 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 those of you that are out there listening, just hang tight. We're Jared's fixing uh, fixing this uh, the screen and teaching Joe not to stop clicking that mouse. Hey, don't be throw me under the bus. These things happen. <laughs> and uh, we're getting Craig back on Turn as well. Sideways, be there, I think. Okay, looks like we're up. 
We got Rick up, Rick back up on the line. Hang in there, buddy. Okay, we're getting Craig back up. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so again, like we said, technical difficulties. It's uh, issues that we're having, but we're getting them squared away. If you are on hold, okay, please call in again with your question. Daryl, did you write the questions down? Yes, I have a question. Okay. But, you know, if you were on hold, we uh, saw that a couple of you had been waiting about 25, 30 minutes. Um, give us a call back again. You know the number, one 995 So, again, we have Rick back on. Let's see if we have Craig back on. Uh, so let's see if you get Craig up, uh, Daryl. Why don't you have a good song you want to sing? You want to practice your new uh, career? Well, if I started singing, <laughs> we, we lose all the we audience. Lose all the audience. Oh, I, we have to worry about clicking them all then. Huh? They wouldn't even call back for <laughs> at least a month. I know what you're talking about, yeah. But ladies again, the number you can call is triple eight nine nine five 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 two. Triple eight nine nine five 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 two. Uh PCH, boy, that was that what happened to that break? That was some real technical uh, difficulties there. I think wow. I know what happened. Now that was a that was a first. Craig, 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 that wasn't you or Rick. It was Daryl this time. Now, what you well, gonna, we we will discuss that Eric in our really, after meeting morning. Is Eric really there? No, I'll see there. No, I didn't want to bring it up. Eric's not <laughs> here, and so, but. Daryl's so good, he wiped up the whole board. So I don't play around. <laughs> and if you call in, we answer your question already, and you get you know all that kind of stuff. Craig, you remember what you were talking about? Because I don't. <laughs> I gave a really, good, I gave a really good answer. Uh, yeah, hey, hold on. We were, we were, we were, we were on Timothy's questions about what's a woman. And, yeah. you know, the yeah. professor's talking about, you know. You know, I thought, I, I know what, that was NSA. Yeah. They got us. The NSA got us on that, that Twitter. Uh, no, not Twitter. What's the other little group? Facebook got us or something like that. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. That was pretty good. <laughs> but you were saying yeah, something about I, a woman, I Craig? I'll be honest. I don't, I don't feel like repeating the whole thing. <laughs> no, 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 don't. No. <laughs> Cause Cause I think it's on, though. I think we have recorded. I'm call. I'm like, who, who, Sorry, who's calling at me? <laughs> and it's Salem, and I'm like, well, wait a minute. <laughs> Watch your back, guys. Watch your back, everyone. Well, let me, let me get the listening on his back and track here. Again, if you called in, you're online. I do have your questions. Um, uh, let me see. Who's and, and Rick we, is back. Eric is back. Okay, enjoy, enjoy. We, we already answered that question, so you can get the answer on the archive show on the Greek Orthodox question on the first, on the first hour. And um, David Flores, David had a question from yeah. Facebook. About uh, postmodernism, uh, and I think we did. I think we did complete Timothy's question about the woman and yeah, that situation. Yeah, because yeah. well, Craig don't want to go through that again. Apparently, because yeah, we say if we talk about that again, if that goes off again, then we know what's happening. <laughs> okay, Here, here's David. He has a good question. Uh, so I have a question. As a Christian, how do I navigate getting a philosophy degree at a state school yeah. where the popular opinion is? Uh, Denigrating God's standard by affirming feminism and the postmodernism of uh, Foucault. How is a homosexual who didn't agree? Uh, no, he is a homosexual who didn't agree with the Bible. And yeah, uh, I know he is. I read a lot of them. Mm-hmm. And what he also, by the way, you guys have proven an invaluable resource as someone who is trying to keep the faith while in a University of California University yeah, about that where a professor yeah. mm-hmm. got his degree. Mm-hmm. So how would mm-hmm. you deal with that, Craig? I, I know there's times you, you talked about 
you know, you could have made the professor look silly. At the same time, you had to be wise uh, on how you approach and handle things. So, you know, you can finish the course, uh, you know, with the, uh, with, with the grade you deserved. Mm-hmm. Sure. I, I, it's, it's for David, is that right? Uh, yeah, David. yeah, David, yeah. And David, thank you for your donation, yeah. too, brother. We got that. Appreciate you. Wow, I know. I, I love these type of questions. Yeah, I mean, because uh, I, I not only did it as an undergrad, but always do graduate school for PhD level of philosophy. So I had to, you know, weigh my response. Some of my classes, I mean, there's only a handful of people in some of the graduate classes. It's not like there's 50 or 100 or something like that. I was one class on mathematics and logic, and there was like four or five of us. And it was like pretty small uh, room. And if you took the professor off, you're definitely going to suffer the wrath. But we don't want to compromise. But but there's a number of things to say on this. I've lectured on postmodernism a number of times, and there's some key issues I think you can deal with uh, that, that uh, I would normally think to give a little more background. But for, since David's kind of familiar with it, I'll just kind of move into that and stuff that I think people can relate to. I think of something that like Saul Kripke. You may have heard of Saul Kripke. He's a famous philosopher. Uh, and the the logical uh, positivism tradition or uh, empiricism and uh, logical empiricism also called as well. And basically, somebody one time a group of colleagues either at a conference or some meeting, somebody was basically arguing a postmodern or presenting a postmodern perspective that logic is not really applicable. That logic is just a hobgoblin for small minds by certain people, but wow. it's not a universal value. And 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 so Kripke's really just completely appropriately said, oh, so, so if logic doesn't apply, then then it does apply. I'm like what? <laughs> because if 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 now the law of contradiction is not true, then something can both apply and not apply. So if it doesn't apply, it does apply. It's like somebody who says, well, all statements are are um, you you know, you, or you should make them as either or. But if I should use either or statements, not. Not either or, but both and, excuse me. Either or is it's one or the other, and what we call an exclusive use of, the, of or. But, but both and is it's, it's not just one, it can be, of course, both. And he said, oh, good, so it, I, if, I should, if I should not use either or statements, I only use both and, then I should and should not use either or statements. Do you see the pattern here? This is called self-stultification, self-referential refuting. The things they say refute themselves. So look, at I had to read Foucault, so I know who he is. Uh, it's all about power, the, the uh, um, genealogy of knowledge and all that type of stuff. So basically, if it's all about power, then I say, well, his view is just about power, so why should I listen to him? If everything's socially constructed and only true for a given culture at a given time, Nothing is true for all times, mm. all people, all places, all circumstances. But I just say, why are you trying to fob off your views on me then? Then you know your views are not for everybody. I'm a buddy, and these views don't apply to me. And so I simply use their own views against them. And that's something philosophers can't stand, is to be refuted logically and show them that their views are actually self, not just false, they're self-refuting. Yeah. Now, you can do it in a civil, respectable way. You don't have to be you know, in their face about it, but... But I, I found often just using, putting it as a question or, well, help me out, Professor. I'm just trying to understand this. If you say logic doesn't apply, then, then apparently it does, because now the law of contradiction is both true and not true, because logic, now statements don't have to be one to the other, the law of excluded male, the law of identity, and the law of 
of uh, called non-contradiction. So you just use your own views against them. And then what I do is use all these examples. I have practical, what we call denotative counterexamples that I can share with them and say, so, well, help me out. I do this to my students all the time. I don't have to say, well, you're wrong. That's really whatever. I just, I let them fall on their old swords. I, well, if this is true, then does, wouldn't this follow? And then wouldn't this follow? I mean, I had a student one time say to me, and I thought he thought he's being pretty smart. He goes, um, well, I don't think you can convince people. Two people simply believe what they believe, and you can't really change them. And I said, oh, really? I said, would that apply to you, too? <laughs> okay. He didn't like that. I was like, yeah. well, look, if you're going to talk this way, then it applies to you as well. So if you start talking this nonsense that everything is just what's called localized or socially constructed, it's based upon identity or standpoint politics, which means it's only true given your certain ethnicity, mm-hmm. Gender or a sexual preference, age, da 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 da, what have you? Then, then that applies to your view, and you simply say, "Why are you forcing these views on me? Why are you trying to make me conform to something you've already said?" Let me just put it to you this way: There's a great book on apologetics uh, by William Dembski, Dembski and a co-author, and he has a chapter on what he calls the contextual fallacy. The contextual fallacy. David, this is something you need to know. You should read this. The chapter on contextual fallacies and unapologetic apologetics by William Dembski. I can't remember the co-author, but Dembski. And read the chapter, things number two, on the naturalistic fallacy. And that's when somebody uses a theory that says truth is localized, and then they make that universal. One last example. So someone says to me, well, Hawkins, you should be tolerant of all views, not just of people, but all views, because nobody has the truth. Well, of course, by the way, apparently you have the truth to know that nobody else has the truth. But also, if nobody has the truth, why should I tolerate views? They're all stupid. They're all in the forms. All they are, all they are is someone's simple opinion. If there is no universal truth, why would that require me to be tolerant of all views? If anything, I could say, I'm not tolerating any views, because they're all nincompoopishness. See, that's the type of stuff I'm talking about. These are called self-refuting examples. This is a contextual fallacy, and this is what you want to know and use in your study of philosophy. And trust me, this is, in my humble opinion, the way to go. You know, you know, Craig, it reminds me of the, uh, I don't know the professor it was, uh, but in his class on relativism or his exam on relativism, uh, the student who received an F on his paper went to the professor and said, how can you say these are wrong because these are my truths? Based on what you taught us, basically saying, well, wait a minute, I can't be wrong because this is my belief and you know, insofar as that whole philosophy with relativism, how can he give him an F if what he thought was the right answer is the right answer? Well, exactly. In fact, I, mm. I'll just say this. I had a student, I remember it like yesterday, even though <laughs> it was about a decade ago. He, he, had, he, he it was one of my law students. He had a bachelor's in philosophy. He didn't realize I had graduate degrees in philosophy. He just has a bachelor's. Sorry. It's like, okay, I'm going to play philosophy. That's my background, too. So he, he was telling me there was no ultimate truth. It was all relative. And so I didn't just try to say, well, it's and whatever. I just, I, I did a reductio ad absurdum on him. I said, okay, I said his name. I said, we just went over the syllabus. We've talked about, this is our contract on what your grade's based upon. And then in our law school, it's, we have a curve. It's a mandatory curve. 
And somebody has to get the worst grade. It's mandatory. You can't have a tie. If somebody gets the worst grade, and that's, if you will. And so I said, so i tell you what. I said the student's name. I said, just because professorial discretion, it's my class, I can do what I want. I've decided that I'm going to throw out the syllabus, because after all, it's relative. There's no <laughs> ultimate objective truth. And I'm going to give you the lowest grade in the class. I've just decided, just because I want to, because I, I can do it, because I feel like it. I'm giving you the lowest grade in the class. Oh, by the way, let it be the case that in, in fact, actuality, based upon my syllabus and your, your, your uh, work on the exams and the other assignments, you really amateured the class, which means you deserve the highest grade. You actually did the best. So according to my syllabus, you deserve the best grade, but it's all relative. So I'm going to break the contract and give you the worst grade. And then I turn to the rest of the class and go, oh, by the way, do you mind if I give so-and-so the worst grade? But of course, they don't mind because that means they don't get it, right? So everybody was in agreement with me, and I could have done it anyway. I said, so I've given you the worst grade. You've already got an F in the class, no matter what you do, because it's all relative. So mean. And I, I said, now, are you going to accept that? Is that okay with you? And he's like, you can't do that. And I go, oh, I can. <laughs> he got my point, and he, yeah. he never gave me another argument again in the class because he got it. And, that's, and got Craig, that's what you want, though. That's what you really want in the first place. Yes. Yeah, indeed. Well, what I want to do is give the folks the number. You can call them. We have some open lines at 888-995-5552, 888-995-5552. And I promise you I'll try to wash my fingers and I'll disconnect everything. 888-995-5552. Brian actually smiled when I said that, Craig. Everything else is Bible Info Brokers. Bible Info Brokers for Facebook, email, tweet, or messenger. Let's go to uh, Eric and talk with him from Chatsworth. Eric, thanks for holding on and calling back in. Appreciate you, brother. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Uh, happy Father's Day to you all. Thank you, sir. Um, Thank you. I'm calling, I'm calling to get the uh, panel's um, uh, opinion on the biblical appropriateness of specifically pastors and other church leaders uh, dressing down uh, what I would say would be below a um, acceptable or, or basic societal norm uh, specifically in, in worship and in leading and preaching. Um, I myself find it to be uh, unbiblical. I think there's a biblical standard. And I'm using the phrase, you can see why I use the phrase, a, sort of a, a basic societal norm. Um, I know of a pastor who um, leads his congregation and preaches in a T-shirt and jeans like 90% of the time. Mm. And a T-shirt is always a gray charcoal t-shirt, which is actually a church t-shirt with a, a church logo on the back and a, and a phrase to, about following Christ. But it seems to be a, a much lower societal, below a sort of a basic societal norm. And of course, there's also been a fad in, in times of um, preachers wearing uh, open-toed sandals or flip-flops and stuff like that with the idea that you know, Christ dressed like that. And and I have two comments, biblically, two areas of comments. Um, I hope I have this biblical story right. Isn't it uh, the issue between Cain and Abel that uh, Cain um, brought an unworthy uh, offering before the Lord and his sacrifice was not considered uh, appropriate? Um, I think I have that story right, and that's what led to the uh, anger and obviously the murder of Abel. Uh, also, we have, I think, also in uh, Scripture the idea of bringing our best before the Lord, the idea of first fruits is what we give in our worship. 
Um, but an area I wanted to really hear you comment on is the, how um, Jesus Christ himself presented himself in his, his breath um, and how that might apply to a societal norm of his time. Because I thought through this, and, you know, we hear that Christ was, he was an itinerant preacher. Okay? It doesn't mean he was homeless, as we might think about homeless, but it seems to me that he just moved around. He was a working man before he went into his ministry. Right. Um, but really, when I thought about it, when I thought about him being and teaching in the synagogue, or actually visiting um, the homes of Pharisees for, for dinner parties and so on, it seemed to me that he would have been dressing at the level that would have been acceptable societal norm or higher. And we hear about the societal norms as the, the tunic and the outer garment. And so yeah, on. Yeah. I just can't imagine him okay. appearing like a bum in the synagogue and teaching. Eric, I, I think we I think we got what you're saying, but let me just, let me yeah. let me ask you this question before I turn it over to uh, Greg and Brian. When you approach the, uh, the the preacher or preachers that you had this sight or you saw it, you actually participated in, in the service or whatever, and I'm 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 asking you this question as though you did do this. So if you didn't, you can let us know that as well. When you approach them and ask them about it and talk to them about it, if you had an opportunity to do so. What did they say before I have Brian and Craig uh, chime in? You know, I, I haven't. Okay, I really. That's fair. I mean, that's fair. No, I, again, I, I wasn't. I wanted to touch on. I wasn't putting you on front street for that. I just wanted to ask that question in general because uh, that's just a general question I ask people because I want to encourage them. Confirm, I, say it again. I can't confirm. I can't confirm in, in your thoughts of this one pastor, and I've seen it other times. It, it's a regular kind of behavior practice. Okay, I got you on that. Now, the, my my final question again. I'm, it's a real quick question. Did the pastor ever address it himself about the dressing or the dressing, the dress or the matter of dress that he he was in? Did he ever address it? You didn't ask him. Did he ever address it one way or the other? I just want to know if they said anything about it that you're no, aware of. Okay, very good. That's fair. Okay, that, that's that's it. Uh, Craig, Brian. No, the first of all, um, I think as a pastor, as a leader of the congregation, um, yeah, I know you don't want to. Uh, I personally feel that a pastor should dress appropriately. I'm not saying in today's world he has to have a suit and tie on. Okay, you know if he does, that's fine. If he doesn't, but I would say that he should be dressed appropriate in in so far as. Uh, it's not going to cause anyone to stumble or question uh, the way he's dressing. I don't believe that a pastor teaching should have flip flops on. He should have, you know, shoes. Uh, doesn't you know? And they, they could be nice tennis shoes. You, you see a lot of the hosts that are on uh, different uh, uh, broadcasts. Uh, they're dressed nicely. They're nice, casual dress. And uh, I, I think leading a congregation that the pastor should um, dress appropriately so the questions don't come up regarding the way he's he's dressing or uh, it's not going to um, distract. distract. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Daryl. Uh, others, as they're uh, listening to him as well, you know, he's, he's preaching the word and then they're looking at him in a T-shirt and flip-flops like he's going to the beach uh, as a pastor and a leader of the flock. I don't personally believe that a pastor uh, should dress that way. That's my personal opinion. 
you know, some people can say, well, that you're being legalistic. No, I, I'm just saying I'm using godly wisdom uh, insofar as uh, when you're leading a group, you want to, I would believe, or I would want that person to dress appropriately. And again, I'm not saying dress to the tail, but, you know, respectfully uh, with their, you know, the shirt. I, I, I believe that a shirt with a collar is, you know, uh, again, that is my personal opinion. Greg? Yeah, I guess I want to start with the other issue first. Is it doesn't say that Cain's sacrifice was unworthy. It's, it was not done by faith. Right, the difference yeah. between Cain and Abel, I don't think it's an issue of worthiness. It's an issue of faith. Did Cain really trust God and have faith in him? And the answer appears to be no. That's what the text says. Number one. So I want to be careful of that because none of our sacrifices are worthy in and of themselves. But it is by faith and how we appropriate and uh, please God as, that we believe that He is and He's a rewarder as the author of Hebrews tells us of those who seek Him. Uh, so that's number one. Number two is I appreciate your your concerns, but this I'm going to argue is adiaphora. Adiaphora is a Greek word that means it's debatable. Um, uh, look, I, let me just say personally, I have a higher dress code. I I, I don't like that the 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 scene with the flip flops and all that stuff. I mean, I guess if you're in Hawaii somewhere in the tropics or, or whatever, and everybody's wearing flip flops, then okay. But that's not my thing. My motto is like when I go to a wedding or a funeral, I dress appropriate. I dress up. It's because it's a matter uh, the way I was raised. The way I believe it's a matter of respect. I don't wear a hat in church, because that's, that's disrespectful. I wouldn't wear a hat at a wedding. I'm not going to wear a hat at a funeral. At certain times, you take the hat off. And, but but I, I have a certain dress code, and I know others don't. So that's where I am, and it, my idea is, as you said, bringing your best and trying, to, I mean, going to fellowship, going to church, if you will, we are the church, but going, if you will, in that sense of church, to me is... It's not a chance for me to relax and wear my sweats and whatever. It, it is. It is. I'm paying my respects to the master. Uh, I think we trifle sometimes with God and treat him like he's just Jesus, our buddy, and we're just hanging out with him and we can do whatever we want. Having said that, that's my personal preference. I don't freak out if I see a pastor in flip flops or other people. I w- I don't do it. I wouldn't do it unless again I was in tropics and that's all they wore. And if I dressed up, I would be putting them down. I think one ought to dress modesty, and males can dress immodest as well. And I don't think you have to have the latest hairdo or, or styling clothes or faddish or whatever. Uh, but, but you know, there, there's different standards here. As long as one dress modest, I mean, it's between them and God. Again, I lean your way, but it's called adiapha. These are the things, literally the things differing, the things we disagree on. And there's no clear command. It just tells us we're to dress modest. It doesn't say so you have to wear your Sunday best, if you will. But that's how I think. And that's how I prefer to do. And so I have things I just won't wear to church. And I've not let my when my kids were growing up, I wouldn't let them wear it either. It's like my wife and I have the same standards. No, that you're not going to church in that. That's not. We're dressing for church. We're not going to a baseball game or something. So, anyways, that's my opinion, and that's all it is. And I just and again, I just throw my little two cents in there in regards to uh, the the word. I, I kind of like stay in the middle because I've been in churches where they're dressed down and they dress way too up. So I'm gonna say way too down, way too up. Um, as a as a as a preacher, as a leader, to me, you want to be not a distraction. 
So don't be too flashy. Don't be too like you like you were saying, um, Eric. Like down. Just be you know right in the middle where you know you're you're not the center of attention because of your apparel. The Bible talks about it, at least from the standpoint of of women. Don't let your outward adorning be the thing that's uh, that's prevalent, but let that inward uh, person. I'm I'm only throwing that in there because of where I'm coming from in regards to uh, you know keep the modesty in there. Don't be too flashy. Don't be too down. Final thoughts, I agree with all of that. What do you guys think, though, Jesus's standard was within his culture? Because I think he would have been either in the middle or slightly above and not dressed down. I can't see him in the synagogue dressed down. And nor up. And seeing nor up, Eric. And I'm saying not flashy because that's where you get into all those things where I, I think that the Pharisees and everybody, uh, they, were, they were talking about even with their prayers, how they had these long, uh, you know, prayers so they can be noticed by people. So I'm just simply saying whatever makes you noticed is taking attention off Jesus. So whatever that is, be yeah, it down or up. Yeah, and if somebody says I wear sandals like Jesus, like that's a, that's, that's a, that, that's a total, oh, what's the word I want, uh, anachronism. That's what they wore. They wore sandals. People didn't wear clothes, right. to, uh, toed shoes. So that, that's ridiculous. Then do you wear a gown? It's like Jesus said, well. <laughs> get that know, tunic on. You know, get that outer garment, inner, inner garment. <laughs> I just want to dress like Jesus. Well, look, that's, that's not, that's, uh, like, my wife and I understand. I try to dress just like Daryl said in the middle. Right. I don't want to draw my attention because I'm so dressed so casual that people are like, what's up, or so flashy that, that they're thinking about that. Indeed. I want my clothing to be a non-issue yes. because I want them to hear the gospel and what I'm sharing, and I don't want to draw attention to myself. And some people do. We know this. Men and women, they use the church as a fashion show. And some people are insecure, and they want to get their needs met by getting gawked at, and, and they wear things that are you're just really flashy and or are immodest, and it's really inappropriate anytime, especially in the house of God, especially at church. I, I don't recall any passage when Jesus was speaking that he was a distraction yeah. based on something he wore. Indeed. Eric, I hope that's helpful, brother. We Thank appreciate you. your phone call, man. Thanks, brother. God bless. God bless. Sure. Go ahead, guys. Go ahead, Greg. No, I, yeah, I, I, it's an issue, but it, the, the main one to me is the modesty issue. Is Men and women wear things. Look, if someone's a brand-new baby Christian, I get it. They're used to dressing a certain way. But someone who's been a Christian for a while to dress inappropriately, it's like, what part of this don't you get? In our overly sexualized culture, you're asking for attention mm. and for people to look where they shouldn't be looking. Stop and think. This, to me, is common sense, but apparently it's not common sense. Not so common. And so <laughs> when people need some conviction, men and women, it's like dress appropriate, dress modestly. If you want to dress otherwise, I'm not really just fine, but do it elsewhere. Do not do it at fellowship and stumble people who are come there to worship God, and then they're staring at you because you've made yourself a spectacle. And that's the point of Peter. Don't just, don't make yourself a spectacle. Mm -hmm. Don't draw attention to yourself. But look, some people, males and females, are so needy, so insecure, one of the ways they get attention is by drawing attention to their physical appearance, specifically because they dress uh, immodestly. And everybody knows what I'm talking about. 
and that's it. Indeed. Triple eight nine nine five 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 two is the number. Call in. We have about twenty five, about twenty minutes left in the broadcast. Triple eight nine nine five 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 two. Uh, Dave, I got your question. I'm going to get to it, Dave from Hollywood. You what? You hung up for some reason, but I'll get to your question about six six six. But right now, let's deal with the question from Rick in the city of Los Angeles. Rick, thanks for holding on and calling in. Hey guys, how's it going? Uh, God bless you guys. Appreciate uh, you. Uh, there's actually a family right now struggling with this two-part uh, question. Uh, let, me, let me do something, uh, Rick. Hold on, Rick. Hold on, Rick, for a second, because you sound like you're in an echo chamber, or maybe just our connection. Because I, I didn't press any buttons this time, guys. So if you can kind of, you may be on your earbud or something like that. Can you come to the phone okay. a little bit better? Okay. All right. What you got? Oh, that's my man right there. Thank you, sir. Okay. So the the question is this: uh, What does the Bible say uh, about you know? burial versus uh, cremation, if there's anything in the Bible, I don't, I don't ever recall, uh, you know, reading anything about it. And then also, the second part of the question is, there's a, a you know, a friend of mine who uh, just lost a family member, mm. cremated them, and there is a, like, heated argument fight going on right now, because one of the brothers wants to you know, put the cremated remains like in an altar, kind of like a Buddhist type of, oh, uh, right. you know, thing that they do, but they are, you know, Catholic, Christian, you know, I'm not sure what, what you want to call them, but, uh, and then the other, you know, uh, siblings are like, no, we need to bury mm. the remains in, you know, like a burial. And, you know, they did it for, you know, I think, you know, they cremated for financial reasons. But uh, I don't know if there's any uh, any uh, advice you can give me to share with them. Well, let me. Can I do this for real quickly before Craig and Brian come in? I just have two quick things to say. My mom was buried. My dad was cremated, and I don't. I'm not sure if the Bible. I'm pretty sure that the Bible doesn't say specifically what you must do as a believer. But one of the things I would simply ask the siblings that are, are trifling and fighting and fussing over the body of their the loved one, if the loved one had a request, they need to consider that request. And my personal opinion, and if he did not, if the person did not have a request, then we need to uh, peacefully and lovingly do uh, it's almost like one of those things you lean towards the weakest person and if there's a financial issue like that and it was a situation where the weakest person say needs them buried because that's going to be the most expensive thing then you need to lovingly try to consider that situation in my thinking that's all just my thinking yeah and, and, and it's basically to bury the the cremated remains which wouldn't it, it, it's not a money issue now mm-hmm. the issue is you know, one person wants to build an altar no, to like worship yeah. the ashes, and the other ones are like, no, they're actually afraid of like, you know, that the soul will not be resting because it's not in the ground, and you know, and and you know, it's just this huge fight that's going on right now within the fact, literally as we speak, on what to do. Gotcha. You know, the the oldest is the one you know advocating for he wants his altar. And the other ones are like even, uh, you know, saying no, no, uh, it's going to be like, you know, bad luck and, you know, yeah. the spirit with the soul won't be resting, you know. So I, I don't know if there's any any uh, insight you guys can give me to help them. Well, okay, well, I'm going to turn it over to Brian and Craig, but I would invite you to have the guys listening to the archive show when it's up on our Facebook page or Spotify, whatever the other formats we have, uh, to give maybe some thoughts that we have here. Well, you know, uh, Rick, first of all, 
the Bible doesn't say one way or the other insofar as if, if it's right or wrong for an individual to be cremated. Because if you think about it, if that person is buried under the ground, that body's going to disintegrate anyway, and the bugs are going to take all the particles or the remains all over the, spread them out all over the, uh, wherever bugs go. Uh, and so, you know, the, and you have to remember that the Bible says, you know, to be absent from the body is to be home with the Lord. Okay, so uh, to, to, to build an altar for somebody, you know, I mean, biblically, what's the purpose? That person's not there. Those those are just ashes. What did you say? Uh, I was, real quickly, when you said that, Brian, also the reality of the matter, and I don't PCs may talk on it, is about the resurrected body, the resurrected of the just and the unjust, also in a deal with the eternity from that perspective as well. So I uh, don't know if the person was a believer or not. It seemed like there's a lot of stuff going on, a lot of different beliefs going on in, in his family, but uh, maybe they can, you know, tune in and, and go from there. I'm sorry, Brian. Yeah, I, I mean, th- think of a body that's burned up in a fire. They're, yeah. they're, they're caught in a fire or they're at war and they're... they're you know the the you know they're in a mine. They step on a mine and their body's just obliterated all over the place. Um, you know the physical body is gone. Your soul is with the Lord, and uh, when the Lord returns, uh, we're going to all get our resurrected body. Nothing hard for our Lord and Savior to do. So, insofar as I think there needs to be discussion with uh, the family members, letting them know that uh, biblically. There's nothing wrong with having a, a person cremated. My mom and dad were both cremated. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, that's an issue I think that needs to be discussed, like Daryl said. But at the same time, um, you know, the purpose for an altar. My question would be, what for? Yeah. The person's not even there. Okay, it's just ashes. Or um, again, if the person wants to be buried in the ground, either way. The person is gone. They're at home with the Lord. And like I said, to be absent from the body, that means once you're dead, you're in the presence of God. And Rick, I just put you on hold because a lot of background noise. Uh, still, we're still with you. So, uh, PCH, your thoughts? Well, just quickly, you guys have already said it. Cremation was, was stigmatized with, from our Jewish friends because they couldn't conceive of how somebody was basically burned to ashes, how God would recoup reconstitute the body for the Jews that did believe in a resurrection. Not all Jews did, but many did, and we find that in the book of Job and Isaiah, and in some forms of rabbinic Judaism, the, the belief in a bodily resurrection. So their thinking was, well, if it's burned beyond, you know, putting it back together, you couldn't have a resurrection. Of course, as has been said, that, but that's, that's nonsense. God has no problem reconstituting the essence of the person. It's not literally their actual molecules, but in some significant sense, it's part of their body. What about people, again, uh, an airplane explodes in the middle of the air, and it's, everybody's vaporized or incinerated. Uh, that's not an issue for God. So whether in the ground, whether you go to ashes in a hundred years or in a uh, hundred minutes or less, it's the same difference. So that's why there was a stigmatism. It was dishonoring in Judaism to have someone cremated. Uh, but but the Bible doesn't say one way or the other, and it was based upon a un- false understanding of God's abilities and what it would take to be able to reconstitute somebody in a bodily resurrection. Uh, that's the issue. And so, I, not to be flippant, but here it simply boils down to rocks, paper, scissors. Someone's going to get what they want, somebody's not, and somebody needs to be gracious and given, as this was said to the weaker brother or sister, and, and because there really is no biblical mandate either way. Although I would say an altar technically 
me is a place of worship. That's what yeah. an altar is for. An altar, uh, you know, memorials one thing, or a headstone, you know, a large one or otherwise. But an altar, I'm, I'm not. If they're using that term, that's completely inappropriate. That's worship. Whether you're going to worship the person uh, or worship God there, I guess you could, but. You don't need an altar. The altar we have is is the heavenly one and Jesus Christ and what he's already done for us. So that would be my perspective. Okay, Rick. Um, I, I had to put you on hold on because there was a lot of background noise. I appreciate uh, the call, man. So please take take an opportunity to share what your um, your family are, the, this, these people family, the uh, listener to the archive show when it's up on the Facebook page, okay? Will do. Thank you guys very much. And appreciate, God bless you. appreciate you, man. Brian. No. Nothing to say. Oh, um, we will talk about that. You didn't lead me into participating. Well, see, I, I know, look, I don't have to always use my P word. I already said telephonically twice a day. So Craig wouldn't get it. Go ahead. <laughs> no, Daryl, we talk about supporting the, the, the radio uh, ministry. You know, that's that's you know, that's how we're on, how we stay on the air mm-hmm. uh, through the donations of our listening audience. And there's a couple ways they can do that. You know, if, if you believe in this ministry, you want to support this ministry, uh, you can give to this ministry by going to BibleInfoBrokers.com, BibleInfoBrokers.com. Click on the link that says support and donate, and you can give right away with your debit or credit card. You can set it up so it's automatically done, however you want to do it. Um, now there's those that want to mail in their ministry, uh, their ministry, their, their donation. And that's a very simple way to, uh, that they can do that. They can make their, uh, check out or cash a check or money order out to living by the word. And they can mail it to PO box nine zero four seven seven nine zero four seven seven Los Angeles, California nine zero 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 nine. I definitely want to thank you for your donations. We want to thank you in advance for those that give, that donate, that pray for this ministry. Now, also, um, uh, there's another ministry that they can give to. That's for the Yatad training of, of trainers. And uh, the professor is going to be going to Nepal in August. And, you know, there's costs associated with that. And you can help support that ministry as well. Uh, what you can do is when you give, whether it's, via the internet or uh, whether it's a, a mail-in uh, donation, just specify on there how do you like your donation to be split up or if you want to or not. You can go 100% to the radio ministry, 100% to TOT, or you can just split it. Hey, I want 50% to go here, 50% to go there, that kind of thing. And so, um, so again, make sure you make note of that on your, uh, on your donation. You know, we only have about four minutes left on the broadcast. God, it's, these hours went by so fast. Um, David, with the question about 666, I don't want to answer that question until we next week. If you can call in next week, we'll deal with it with you on the air. If not, then I will go ahead and get your question asked and answered next week. And also, um, I was going to do the thing with Reverend Phil to make a good segue with the giving to the tithing question. We could deal with the tithing question next week in, in regards to that. So, Folks, there we have it. We have a couple of questions next week already built in. And PCH, I need you to real quickly let the people know about his channel and that particular ministry, and we'll close out well, momentarily. I really need sure you to I talk about do, that. 
Yeah, I could do that, but I really want to emphasize the going to Kathmandu, the going to Nepal, oh, go ahead, go ahead. And ministry, and in particular taking a young man among others with Sam, me, yeah. who's just a, I don't know, has great potential, a man of God, and and just training him and and ministering to to, to Pastor, for example. Krishna Bandari and dealing with Love Justice International and other great ministries over there. And people can be a part of that. We were trying to raise the airfare and expenses, and particularly for this young young man who's going with us. And uh, anyway, some people have already uh, been uh, supporting, sending funds. want to say thank you. You make the trip possible. Uh, it's going to expenses like renting a van for travel in, in Nepal itself, for the airfare, lodging, what have you. And then we also often... We give donations, and I always get receipts so people always know where their money went uh, to the ministries we give it to, and it's an accounting like that. So I want to thank those who've done that, uh, others who are going to. Some say, I don't have any funds, but you can sure pray for us, and we pray for God's blessing. So in August, when we're there, we have very effective ministry, and God accomplishes what he wants to do. So that's what I really wanted to talk I appreciate about. that, Greg. Before you do talk about this, John, because we're going to get to it, and um, I want I want you to talk about that. Folks that are out there that have a lot of reward points, please, please, please send me an email. You know how to do it. If you have a lot of reward points, people deal with the points on the credit cards. You can pay for a round-trip ticket on the reward side like that and take care of a very expensive expense for what Craig was just talking about. Folks, so please be creative in the way that you can give. If you don't have it, like Craig said, pray for us for sure. And even if you do have it, pray, give and pray. But those that have those reward points, please send me an email. I'll work with you and talk with you. I've been in that industry for a long time and know how to work that system as far as as turning your points into money or turning your points into flight benefits and all kind of stuff that can help with this uh, this trip. So please take an opportunity to go to Bible Info Broker, send us an email, say easy, call me, talk to me, communicate with me about that and giving in that way. PCH, real quickly on the His channel, because I want to get that phone number out where they can actually, before they go to sleep tonight, call in and get their questions on online so they can be able to answer later on real quickly. Thanks, Daryl. His channel, Internet TV, I have the pleasure of doing the Wednesday from 1 to 2 o'clock program, program Today's Bible Questions. You can call in at 714-815-7097, 714-815-7097. You can text your questions, and we'll attempt to answer them, and I look forward to doing that. Again, his channel, Wednesdays, 1 to 2. Okay, and Joe, as you're calling from Hawthorne about anger, man, don't be angry with us, but we just ran out of time as far as the broadcast, and your question may be a little bit more, sens- not sensitive that I know of for sure, but give us a call next week. Let's deal with that, man, because that's a very important subject, and I don't want to cheapen it out by speed answering it. So, Joe from Hawthorne, give us a call next week, and we give you some priority for next week as far as your question about anger. Brian, you have about 25, 30 seconds to close. No, Daryl, I'm, I'm just going to respond like I do mostly every week, and it's very important to me that those that are listening always remember that eternity is too long to be wrong. And when you think of eternity, uh, you know, after 10,000 years, after 100,000 years, you're not even close to eternity. Indeed. So make sure uh, you know what you believe and why you believe it. Appreciate it. PCH, 15 seconds. 
Yeah, we'll live in light of eternity. No matter how long, how old you are now, you're, we're all going to die someday, said the Lord Terry. We're going to meet our Maker, either as believers or not, and you want a lot of fruit for eternity. That's what it's all about. Music in the background is Mama Grace and Big Daddy's Baby Boy. They're always the fortune telling you to remind you that God is our creator of all, but he's not the daddy of all. Who's your spiritual daddy? Please, 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 what Craig just said, what Brian just said, address that issue. If the Lord willing, we'll be back next week with more of the Bible Information Broker presented by the Living by the Word Ministries and the faithful supporters of.